Welcome to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge with your host, Carol McClelland-Fields. Within each show, Carol and her guests explore topics that give coaches, healers, and other change catalysts new concepts, tools, and insights that open up opportunities to flourish personally, professionally, and financially. And now, your host, Carol McClelland-Fields. Hello and welcome. I'm Carol McClelland-Fields, your host. In this episode of Change Catalyst at the Growing Edge, we'll be exploring new trends in transitions that will enhance your impact as you work with clients navigating times of change. I'll be sharing why I created a show just for Change Catalyst at the Growing Edge. I've invited my colleague, Bobby Mendorf to join us as the guest host. Thank you for joining me, Bobby. I'm looking forward to all that we discover today. As am I. Thank you, Carol. And what an honor to be with someone who is so committed to investigating transitions. Carol has been studying and tracking transitions since she was in grad school, living and learning through her own life transitions, observing the world's response to transitions, and supporting her clients through professional and personal changes. A trailblazer in this field, Carol has watched transition trends change significantly over the last 35 years. She also sees potential for even more change in the years ahead. Carol believes that coaches, healers, and other change catalysts are on the front lines in our changing world. By working together as a community, we can help our clients and communities become more resilient in the face of changing times. As with other episodes of Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge, we'll begin by hearing about the origins of Carol's work with transitions. Then we'll deepen the conversation to talk about specific insights she's had about navigating transitions, including early trends and current trends. We'll close the show with information about how you can learn more about Carol's work. So thank you, Carol. And let's get started. Maybe you could talk about the impact of transitions in your own life. Thank you, Bobby. Yes. Well, growing up, I was afraid of change, actually. I did everything I could to avoid it. And um, most of the changes in my life were academically inspired. So changing from one school to the next, leaving for college, leaving for grad school. And then in my third year of graduate school, I experienced a, a breakup and I also was having my first spiritual awakening. And my whole world had sort of turned upside down, inside and out. And my father actually gave me a book called Transitions by William Bridges. Many people know of it. It's an orange book. It's still sitting on my bookshelf. I can see it from here. And in that book, he talked about three phases of transitions, going through endings, 
in-between times, and beginnings. And knowing those three phases helped me see where I'd been and also where I needed to go next. And it was so helpful for me to have a map during that time where I felt a little unhinged from my reality. And then the very next year, that book became a lifeline for me because my dad was diagnosed with lymphoma. That summer, I was at an internship. I was away from the school. I had no social network there. And all of a sudden, I was facing this situation where my dad had a very serious illness. It took him a few weeks to even diagnose what was going on for him. It was kind of a rare situation. The diagnosis really hit me hard. I remember I was in a apartment with paper thin walls. And so I'd go out to a soybean field nearby and I would just cry because I didn't know what to do. And about four months after I finished my PhD, my father died. That 18 months between his diagnosis and his death were so full of unknowns and twists and turns and highs and lows. We thought he was making it and then suddenly he wasn't. And at the end, we all knew it was time to let go. That morning after he died, my mom and I were sitting at the dining room table making the calls that we needed to make. And it was early. We hadn't slept very much. And we looked at each other and we both had this sense that what was happening was absolutely right. And it was kind of unnerving at the time because, you know, at one level it was horribly not right. But we Mm -hmm. knew deep in our hearts that something good was going to come out of this turning point in our life. We moved forward from that place of knowing that inspired us both. My mom went on to go back to school and become a therapist and she was 52 when my dad died. So she had the rest of her life where she was doing profound therapy work with people. And I ended up, as we'll soon see, making my whole world around transition. For the next five years, we navigated a lot of transitions as a family. There were relationship changes, there were health challenges, there were career changes, spiritual awakening, new layers and layers of that. And my grandparents had health issues and dementia and so caring for them and their deaths and a major earthquake. And all of that was wrapped up in the five years after my dad died. It was a long haul getting through that number of changes in a very short time. So what kept you going? It was interesting when I was answering this question for myself, because I really went back to that time period where, you know, your whole life feels like the bottom dropped out. I was not prepared because I had not been through much transition in my life, which, you know, that's rare for many people, but I was just kind of clueless. I did not know how to work with my emotions. I did not know how to keep going. I was just kind of stuck. Early on, because I'd had this spiritual awakening, I decided to come to my life and all of these transitions with as much consciousness and self-awareness as I could bring. And I actually leaned into processing the pain and healing the dynamics from previous times in my life and to discovering new parts of myself. As each year passed and we came around each anniversary of my father's death, I could sense that I was growing and I could sense that who I was becoming was becoming clearer and clearer 
And it was very different than who I was before. Before I was a student, I was very academically minded. I lived in my head. And the person who was becoming was someone who was spiritual and who worked from a place of intuition and a place of metaphor. And so I really flipped the switch and became this other being. I was happy with this person I was becoming. I felt more grounded and more peaceful. So I knew I wanted to keep going. There was no way I could just stop and say, okay, I'm done now. So I kept growing. I kept searching. I kept finding the insights to move through this darkest period as one transition hit us after another. I also relied on self-care. I got regular massages. I worked with a therapist. I had a grief counselor to help me. And one of the lights of my life was a new golden retriever puppy that came into my world about nine months after my dad died. And I named her Sunrise. And she was always there. She was my companion. She was there to give me a hug whenever I needed one. And I think a lot of my healing came from her, actually. She was a, a very dear, sweet friend. And of course, anybody who's listened to this show already knows I relied on the natural world, looking outside of myself to understand how nature changed gracefully every day as it went through this wheel of the seasons. And I began to study those insights. They gave me a lot of solace to know that even though it was dark today and wintry and stormy and cloudy and wet and scary, I didn't have to stay there. That spring was around the corner and I just held on and kept moving in that direction. I'll also say that I did do a lot of reading and took a lot of workshops and really built in skills that I still rely on today for moving through transitions as they come my way. That's definitely the personal side of things. How did your interest in transitions then? turn into the focus of your business and professional life? I was working in a corporate position at that point. I worked as a human resource research analyst for a large insurance company. We did research on human resource issues. About three years into that job and three years after my dad died, I developed a very serious chronic fatigue issue. And a 10-minute walk would put me in bed for three or four hours. And I was 30 years old at the time, and that was really seriously no way to live. I was so exhausted that even going grocery shopping was a trauma to me. It became clear that I had to find a different way. And it became even clearer one January where I kept getting the flu every other week. So my immune system was just completely shot. I was invited by my boss's boss to take some time to myself because he could see I was just not holding together because I felt so, so bad all the time. And so I actually took a retreat to the coast. I took my dog. I took myself. I allowed myself to do whatever I wanted to do in every moment. And it was so freeing to be back to my old schedule and my own way of being. As I was driving home, I cried because I didn't want to have to go back to that structured life of the corporate world. Luckily, that same week when I got back from my retreat, I went to a stress workshop for women, and that opened my eyes to the idea of maybe I wasn't supposed to be in this particular job. 
Maybe this job was for someone else. That was an opening. And then that night I had a dream about creating a stress center for women. And I woke up so excited about this idea of helping other people. And over the next four or five months, I realized that I really did want to create a way that I could support other people navigating difficult times of change. It took about 16 months before I felt secure enough to leave that job and to start my own business. But it was a very profound time. Actually, my colleagues were sure I was in love because I was so happy. They had never seen me happy. I think what I had done is I had fallen in love with myself and my future. And that brought me to this place where I really was ready to launch and start my business. So that was 1991. I still celebrate my Freedom Day, June 3rd, 1991, where I walked out those doors. <laughs> mm, powerful, powerful times. Yes. In those early days, what did you notice about transitions? When I was still at the insurance company, my whole role was about human resources. The corporation was doing a lot of organizational change work. So I started noticing how that corporation and other corporations were supporting other people in times of change. And what I noticed was that corporations were basically clueless about how to support people in times of change, whether they were change that the corporation was generating, like we had managers that were told on Friday that they would be relocating to another office halfway across the country or all the way across the country by Monday. And they had to just switch gears, get on a plane and go. And their family would follow when somebody was able to sell the house and get the kids arranged to be in another place. And they would sometimes not even be in that new location for a year and then they'd be off to their next location. So I heard the managers talking and I watched what was going on. I, I thought that the impact on the families was atrocious. And I really felt for everybody involved because nobody was getting the good end of that situation. Mm -hmm. And then whenever we had big organizational changes, the executive team would work through it bit by bit and come to terms with it. But they would make the announcement for employees and expect the employees just to hop to it. And there was no opportunity for the employees to process it or even have any input. And I saw a lot of fallout from that. And then just from my personal experience and watching others going through personal transitions, there was really the attitude, and it was very common at that time to, you know, leave your personal transition at the door, get back to work, use the work to numb out, and you know, no emotions were allowed. There was really no space for real life in that corporate setting. And I know it was common. I was reading other articles and what was happening in other places. So that was what I learned inside the corporation about mm -hmm. transitions. And then when I actually started my business, I was out networking and I was astounded that no one actually knew what a transition was. I had more than one person at networking events ask me if I just worked with women in menopause who are going through the transition or if I helped people die. Because that was the, those were the only two transitions that they understood. 
There is actually a third transition that, you know, perhaps people didn't mention, but it is part of the birth process. When you're about to give birth, it's like you're you're going through labor, you're right. going through labor, and all of a sudden there's a shift, which feels much, much worse, but it's very brief, and it's transition during birthing. Yes, that's So true. again, interesting that did not come up, although not really, <laughs> kind of to be expected. I think that's another spark within yeah. your work. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, they just didn't quite know what to do with me. I remember being at a chamber mixer and I think I must have had a booth and somebody stopped by and he he quickly promised me that he was never going to make any changes in his life and he had no need for any services I might offer. I often wonder how life unfolded for him. One other book that I read, I think it was probably the second book I read about transitions had a direct suggestion to only tackle one transition at a time. Just based on my own personal experience, I thought that was rather laughable because I had been through a whole slew of transitions over five years. But nowadays, if you think about that, it's just absurd because we don't walk out the door without hearing about a number of transitions going on around us. People talk about transitions now. It's it's a normal part of the way we move through our world. We may not be happy about it. We may not go for them purposefully or consciously, but we know a lot of things are in change right now. So at that point in 1991, it was very, very unfamiliar territory for a lot of people. And there was one other thing that I realized five years later when I was doing research for my book, and I looked up in the dictionary to find out the definition of transition. And I was surprised to learn that transition was a noun, but there was no verb to transition. And this was the current dictionary in the mid-90s. And what that told me was that our language told us that transitions happened but provided us with no word, no concepts about how to go about transitioning. From talking with my clients, it became clear that they didn't have the words to talk about the depth of the experiences that they were having. And it was rather crazy making because they knew they were going through this deep journey, but they didn't have words to tell their loved ones. And so a lot of times the loved ones didn't really get it. All through that period, there was a real message that was very basic that says, don't linger, get on with things, stuff your emotions if you have to, but keep moving. That was really the main message when I first started my business. And I started my business before coaching was a field. The coaching Mm -hmm. profession did not exist at that time. So it was Mm -hmm. very early on. So, Carol, you spoke earlier about how important nature was to you. Along the way, you created something called the Seasons of Change model. Talk a little bit about how you originally came to create that. Yes, I definitely relied on nature. That was just my way of being. In grad school, I had no time. So my main hobby was watching the seasons change in Indiana as I walked to and from school each day, I knew nature had a way of changing gracefully. Certainly there were big sharp shifts with storms or fire or things like that. 
But for the most part, changes happen very incrementally. I remember doing a workshop where I combined my nature stories. And during that workshop, a friend of mine noticed how quickly people said that they were in winter or how quickly they said they were in spring. People just resonated with those labels, telling them where they were on this journey through transition. With her encouragement, I sat down one weekend and I started pulling together all of the metaphors that I had gathered as a way of supporting myself and giving myself solace during my deepest days. The model that came out of me that weekend is pretty much the same model that I still teach other coaches and change catalysts to use in their work. Of course, I've evolved it over the years, but the seasons are such a rich, multifaceted, common metaphor that just about everybody will have some experiences of the seasons. You know what basically happens in winter and you know what basically happens in spring and summer and fall. And you can build that into a more nuanced understanding of your transition journey. So when I was... brilliant. It was pretty profound awakening when I put it all together and I saw what I had. And then as I moved forward, I kept sharing it. I talked about it in presentations. I worked with clients. I did workshops. And I would notice what people responded to, what metaphors they really got instantly. And I started building on those. And years later, in 1998, I wrote a book called The Seasons of Change. And then in the mid-2000s, I started training other change catalysts to use the seasons of change in their work. It's definitely been a framework that has been with me ever since, you know, 1992 until now. And I still use it. I still rely on it for my own personal growth. I still notice when things are changing and build that into that model. So it's been a profound experience for me and for my clients. So it took a little kind of an interesting turn at one point. You said you wrote the book in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. um, And then you were doing all your workshops and client work. But then it it sort of went uh, went fallow for a while. It did. I'm curious about that. When my mother passed away, I was at a point in my career where I was developing something else, and I didn't have a lot of bandwidth to keep both things going. I was the executor Mm -hmm. for her her estate, and so I needed to really take care of all of that. And so I consciously allowed the seasons of change to go into hibernation. I knew that at the right time, it would reappear. And sure enough, in 2011, a colleague of mine, Karen Marcus, who I just interviewed for the last show, reached out to me. She had taken my training in the mid-2000s, and she was sad that it wasn't being trained anymore. And so she wondered if she could continue teaching the Seasons of Change while I was focusing on the Green Career Project that I was working on at that time. Mm -hmm. Since 2011, she and I have collaborated on the training programs that we teach. When I let go of the green career work and found my new work, that is when the seasons of change came back and really spoke to me in new ways. 
and mm. I am still listening and seeing how the seasons of change can be enhanced to reflect the change that I see going on right now. Outstanding. You talked a little bit about the clueless years of the early <laughs> 90s about transition and change. Let's talk a little bit about the current transition trends that have been catching your attention over this last little bit, maybe in the last few years. Yes. It's been very interesting to watch. So in those years that I wasn't focusing on the seasons of change, I had a business called Green Career Central, and I helped people figure out how to use their expertise to help the planet in some way. I was working with a lot of activists. I was reading a lot of materials by environmentalists trying to understand climate change and how it was going to impact us and what were the themes of all that. And what I noticed was that a lot of activists, and they could be social or environmental activists and environmentalists, were experiencing a deep grief. It was so deep that they didn't have words for it. And occasionally one would write an essay about it and it would resonate really deeply with this specific subgroup. And what I noticed was that as they understood the science of it, they could see no path forward that would allow us to get back into balance. And they could see no template. They could see no guidelines to follow. And it really put them in a place of there's no way forward. And I got the image one day of a chasm. So they were standing on one side of the chasm and looking over and not even being able to see the other side. Now, there were some luminaries that created powerful books about possible paths forward. And so they would sometimes follow those. But it was so big and so multifaceted that the chasm just stopped everybody in their tracks. And in a lot of ways, I think we're still there on that topic. You know, we don't have good answers. Um, mm -hmm. We have some people who have visionary thoughts about it, but we're still kind of at that same place where there's this chasm and how do we get over it or how do we float across it? Or we don't even have a metaphor right now for how we do that. Mm -hmm. So that's one piece of it. But then I realized, and this came about watching our world in the run-up to and after the 2016 presidential election in the U.S., the uncertainty level has risen for a great number of people. As an empath, I notice these things. I feel it in my body. I feel it in my intuition. I just feel it. I can sense that people are agitated because of the level of uncertainty that they're experiencing. That December, right after that, was when I started thinking deeply about this enhanced level of uncertainty and realizing that the people who were experiencing a personal transition like a divorce or a diagnosis of cancer or a relocation were experiencing that transition in a deeper way. It was a harder transition. It was a harder journey because they weren't just dealing with their own personal uncertainty, which I know is hard enough, but they were also uncertain about the systems that we live within. 
And they couldn't trust those systems. They didn't know that they could rely on health insurance or they couldn't rely on the planet being around for their grandkids. There were things that were bringing this uncertainty up close and personal to them. That is something that I had never really brought into the seasons of change before. Before, I was just looking at a person's individual transition and how to help them move through that. But here, we're doing those individual transitions, usually more than one. And within all of that, we're doing against a backdrop of profound uncertainty. And different groups in our culture and different groups around the world are certainly experiencing even greater kinds of uncertainty when the seas are rising and you don't know that your land is going to be there anymore or earthquakes or drought or violence. There are many ways that there are high, high levels of uncertainty. And that brought me to thinking about change catalysts. And this was really when I first started thinking about our role as change catalysts, whether we're coaches or healers or any other kind of professional that supports people in making changes. How does this high level of uncertainty change our role as professionals? How do we take this high level of uncertainty into account as we're working with our clients? How do we check in with them? Do we just let them bring it up? Do we ask them about it? Do we help them understand how their transition that they're feeling so much about could also be reflecting the other sources of uncertainty in their life. So there's still a lot of questions about this topic to me. And that's really one of the reasons I want to bring Change Catalysts together, because I think as different kinds of professionals come together, we can really look at what's happening in our world and how can we be of best support to our clients who are facing individual changes in a sea of uncertainty that surrounds them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, you've talked about the change catalyst and I think it would be really good to get a more grounded sense of what do you mean when you use the term change catalyst? Great idea. For me, change callous is a term that I came up with because I hadn't seen a term. <laughs> I think of change catalysts as coaches, healers, therapists, social workers, intuitive healers, anybody who helps other people make changes in their lives. Common terms that float around are change makers and change agents. And those are people who are actually creating change. I wanted to work with those who were using their professional expertise and experience to help their clients navigate changes. And they could be navigating difficult transitions or they could be trying to create something new in their life by choice. Could be a personal transition, a career, a business transition, a community transition like a storm or something like that where individuals are really impacted by an event at a community level. Mm -hmm. So change catalysts to me are a collection of professionals who are focused on helping people navigate the changes in their lives. Mm -hmm. So that would be both the kind of change that is 
what you've called change by choice, as well as those changes that kind of come out of nowhere. Correct. So yes, there are two kinds of transitions that I see. One is somebody just has something happen to them and they are forced into taking care of that, whatever that is. Could be a health challenge, could be a divorce, could be a financial shift, could be something happens to their house. Those are things that happen to us and we have to respond. And then there are the things in our lives where we are at choice. We can see something that's not quite working well in our lives, a marriage or a job or our health, and make choices to improve things. So we make choices to make a change that we want. And it's a different energy. It's the same journey, actually. You still go through the seasons of change. But typically, if you catch something when you have subtle signs that something needs to change, it's not as deep a journey as when you are forced into a change on an emergency basis. Mm -hmm. But it still requires good transition skills. Even to this day, most people do not have a conscious way to navigate change, whether they want to create it or they're responding to it. You know, we don't have a user's manual and change. Um, some people call my book that when they find my book. But, but as a culture, as a world, we don't really have anything like that. We find our way through. Some people take longer than others. But my philosophy is that if people understood that change wasn't something to fear, but change could be something you do because it will help you, it will improve your life then we will all have a better experience because we'll change when things are more subtle, the times that we have some notice, and we'll be able to grow and evolve our lives in, in much better ways than if we're always waiting until it's so extreme and we have to make a change. It's a yeah. hard way to live. It is, but we're, we're also so entrained and enculturated to be in control and to plan things out. Change is everywhere right now. Mm -hmm. You know, and there are so many opportunities to take that change, whatever it is that's going on around you, and choose how you want to create out of that. It's kind of like that martial art where you move the energy past you in a flowing movement rather than trying to block it. There's momentum all the time right now. There's always momentum. And so when we can see, ah, this is happening, and if we can stay conscious and say, why is this happening, and what is happening, and what would I like instead, then we have the opportunity to make that pivot by choice. And when we do that, there's far less time, energy, resources, and emotional wear and tear that have to be devoted to navigating that particular change. My family experienced that when we relocated a couple of years ago to Oregon from the Bay Area, we had a situation where we were creating our life from scratch. And we got into the practice of noticing whenever anything sort of wasn't quite right on our property or in our lives. And we'd talk about it and we'd make conscious decisions see what our options were, and then to make the best choice as a result of that exploration. And what I found was there was a, 
a sense of ease that there was a an incremental flow of development and synchronicities happened far more often and new connections and there was this organic evolution that just kept rolling this way of being that is definitely at choice you know even when bad things would happen we'd see the value in it we'd see okay well like just this week <laughs> we had to re-drill our well because the water in our well was too salty and we've been drinking this salty water and at first we were really down on ourselves like why didn't we notice this and no wonder we can't grow anything here but what we realized was that we could redrill the well and it could be in a better position and it could be better water and yes it was a risk but what else could we do and and so we we found a way to flow with that and it's a very different way of living than the way I grew up, which was to plan out everything, work to that plan, make it all happen according to plan. It's not about that. It's about really listening and sensing and evolving in the moment what needs to unfold. And it's a skill that we need in order to be resilient in these times of change and uncertainty. I don't know that people are aware of that yet. So that's one of the real big opportunities that I'm seeing is to really open up this notion of how do you know when it's time to make a change? And how do you listen? How do you trust yourself enough to listen to that? Mm -hmm. And for this, people would turn to a change catalyst. Exactly. Yes. And I will say that there's a bigger way to look at this is that this more organic evolution, this flow in the moment, watching the signs and making decisions is a very feminine way to move through things as opposed to planning things out, forecasting five years, working your plan is more of a masculine way of doing things. And so there is a energetic shift happening on our planet right now that's a bit perhaps esoteric to some, but others of us see it and feel it. And this, I think, is one of the signs of that shift, that there is another way, that we don't have to be locked into the way we've always done things. We can see things and, and move with those in a different way. Mm -hmm. It sounds very flowing. It does. So it? this notion of change catalysts, and particularly the ones who are kind of capturing the zeitgeist of this emergent feminine. It's rare to hear anyone really articulating this in, in just the way you are. So talk a little bit about how and why this is important to you. Yeah, I've always felt that we would all have better lives if we understood what was happening to us when we were going through a transition. I knew from my own experience that it was a much, it's still hard. There's no way around hard sometimes. But when you understand where you are and what the next steps are and tasks you can do and ways you can approach it, and there's a map then you can find your way out of the dark woods and you can find the steps that you can take incrementally to move forward. I have been training primarily coaches and therapists, but a few other professionals around the seasons of change for years. They report back that their clients feel very heard and seen because they're sharing what they're feeling and they're 
intuitively, most people know that when you're going into a deep time in your life, it's appropriate to pull back and not try to be out in the world as much as the world wants you to be out in it. (laughs) And so there's this intuitive fit for people that are going through a deep change. And when they can hear the seasons of change, they really feel like they're being heard and seen in a way that the rest of the world can't see them or hear them. I know that change catalysts already support people through major change. What I'm seeing with these trends is that perhaps change catalysts have some growing to do too. That as change catalysts, we can together look at the levels of uncertainty. We can think about change in a new way, maybe this change by choice or how to support people in going through a personal change against a backdrop of uncertainty. And by being together as a group of professionals, we can find even better ways to support our clients in transition while also celebrating the different ways that we work. One of the things that I've seen is that each helping professional, service-oriented professional, each profession kind of sticks to its own professional silo. And yet, I believe that each person in transition could benefit from working with several people in that array of professionals. If somebody's going through a very traumatic time, they may need different support than somebody who has been through a traumatic transition and they've got some of the skills. I want to see how we can be wiser and stronger together as change catalysts as a whole and what we can learn from each other and what we can bring to help our clients be more resilient and centered during times of deep change. And I know there are times when I've worked with clients who are really having a difficult time. And in the past, I would reach out to the therapist and I would get permission to talk about my client's situation so that I could get her insights about what was happening for this client and did this client need additional support. And I don't know that people in these fields have that right now. So I think gathering together in a community space and being able to share what we do and who benefits from our work and to be available to talk about in very ethical ways, to talk about a client who's having a difficult time and making sure that they're getting the support that they need. I think Mm -hmm. that as there's more and more change in our world, that that scenario may become more and more common. Yeah, it's certainly a complex world that we're in. No doubt about that. So talk a little bit about how change catalysts can come together as you're starting to gather this community. Right now, I have a Facebook group called Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge. It's the same name as the show. And for the time being, we're gathering on Facebook. It is possible we will move away from Facebook at some point, a private area where we can really speak together in safe ways. That's not as public as Facebook can be sometimes. For right now, we're focusing on building the Facebook group. It's a closed group. So you can find it just by searching on Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge. I'll also have that link on the resource page uh, that we'll talk about at the end of the show. On that Facebook group, I write about client alert, what to be aware of that your clients might be going through. I share deeper ways to look at grief or deeper ways to look at transitions. Excellent. 
So with the radio show and supported by the Facebook group, what are some of the themes that you're focusing on with, yeah. with the show? When I was first invited to start the show, I, I really thought very deeply about, well, who would I want to talk to? And that's when I came up with the change catalyst phrase. And why would I want to talk to them? You know, what, what can I offer? And so the themes that I came up with, there are four of them. One is our own self-care. I know that if we're not at our best, we cannot possibly be doing our best work. So what is it that we need to do for ourselves to keep ourselves grounded and centered during these uncertain times? How do we come back to a place of peace within ourselves amidst the noise of the world? And how do we have the grounded resilience that we need in order to support other people going through great degrees of change? So that personal self-care. And of course, everything we learn for ourselves, we tend to share with our client. Typically, uh, shows that we have on self-care are both and. They're both for the change catalyst and also elements of those discussions can be shared with clients. And then there's our profession. There's the work we do as professionals. There's the knowledge that we hold. There are the skills that we have as professionals. And this is where I look at the growing edge part of our title. And this is how do we stretch ourselves to see beyond what we were trained to do or see beyond what our current way of looking at our clients. What else is happening that we're not seeing? What other themes and trends and discussions can we have that can spark us to be better prepared to help our clients? Again, I keep using the word stretching, stretching our muscles and our minds around what's happening in our world right now. It's really easy to just let it go by and not really focus on it. But I think as change catalysts, we need to be aware of what's happening and how that's going to be impacting our clients. And related to that, of course, this is our actual work with clients, taking the discussions that we have together and taking those out to our clients, being in connection with a variety of professionals expands how we see that we can support our clients. And just having a safe place to ask questions and reach out for resources for clients who are in a difficult space and need perhaps more support than we're able to offer them. And then the fourth theme is our businesses. We're all growing our business and we all need to find ways to expand the reach that we have, expand the clientele that we have. And I believe that as we get more familiar with the issues of our times, that many of us will be evolving our work to better address our clients' needs both the building our existing business through marketing, through different strategies, but also evolving our work, listening to that calling within us that says it's time to move in a new direction or time to add a new program or time to address a different clientele. The other part of my career has always been focused on clarity. And so really helping people evolve their work as Change Catalyst is a passion of mine, for sure. That clarity work is something I'll talk about in another show. Mm. Well, that is awesome. You mentioned that you have several strands or threads of your work. So let's let your audience and community of listeners 
really understand your work and where and how to find you. So you're kind of the the change catalysts, change catalyst, Carol. Yes, um, I guess I am. <laughs> and so in that role, talk a little bit about your, your primary work. Yes. So, of course, the radio show is a primary passion of mine. And we've talked about what that is all about. In addition, we, Karen, Marcus, and I do train Change Catalysts to use the seasons of change in their work, purpose clarity program, helping people find their purpose, healing anniversaries class, and a class on the heart magnet, how to help your clients understand when they're drawn to something and when they're repelled by something. So that training work is has been going on since uh, the mid-2000s and continues on. And then I work with change catalysts who are feeling called to evolve their work in some way. I help them gain clarity about the core focus of their new work. And I also mentor them to develop their new ideas, to test new programs, and also to strengthen the business model that they're going to be using. And the last thing we do, because we live in this beautiful rural valley in Northwest Oregon, we do offer on-site retreats for individuals who want to come and just enjoy the quiet space and write, plan, create, or work on a personal transition to move through that uh, in a healing way. So those are the threads of my work. Let's make sure that people know where they can learn about your work, connect with you, find out more about you, the change catalysts, and the clarity work. Yes. So the main site, if you're just going to remember one site, it's flourishasachangecatalyst.com. And on that homepage, there's a link to my other site. So there's a link to my clarity site, a link to the training site, and a link to the retreat site. And so that's the easiest way to do that. And I will post these resources on my site like I do for all of my guests. That link is flourishasachangecatalyst.com forward slash radio. And that's where you'll be able to get access to future shows and also see the resources that our guests provide us. Cool. And your book, Seasons of Change, is still thriving. So where can they find yes. your book? Yes, it is. The Seasons of Change book is available on Amazon. And my seasonsofchange.com site has the Seasons of Change on it and also my Nature's Wisdom deck, a deck of insight cards that you can use by yourself or with your clients. Awesome. And if somebody would like to actually be in a conversation with you and, and engage with you and your work. Mm-hmm. The Change Catalyst at the Growing Edge Facebook group is a great way to start. All of my sites have a contact page, so that's a great way to just email me. And I also send out inspiration for Change Catalyst email every couple of weeks. So that's another great way to stay involved and up to date with what I'm doing. And those signups are on your websites. And they are also on my websites, yes. Okay, great. What a bundle of riches. <laughs> Thank you. It was an interesting process. I recommend it for everybody to look back to the roots of your own work. 
I had a number of insights as I was pulling this show together that I hadn't seen before. So it was a very powerful experience to really look back at the roots of your work and see how they have woven through time to create what it is you're doing now. Yes, so and, and one of those roots for you is grief. I just noticed that in the Facebook group. So I I highly recommend yeah. that uh, people go over and take a look at some of those comments because it's really potent. Yes, there's a new layer coming through and it's time and our world needs all of us to be awake and aware and taking in all that's happening so that we can support our clients in moving through this time. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Bobby, for being here and holding this container for this conversation today. And as I mentioned, the resources that I shared today will be on my site at flourishasachangecatalyst.com forward slash radio. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more ways you can flourish as a change catalyst at the growing edge. You've been listening to Change Catalysts at the Growing Edge on InspiredNewsRadio.com with Carol McClelland Fields. Tune in regularly to hear more ways you can flourish as a change catalyst.